Hello and welcome to the Colby Daniels Podcast. What's going on, everyone? I want to start by saying thank you to everybody that has tuned in to the pregame show on Saturdays. Every Saturday prior to OU's kickoff, two hours before OU's kickoff, Mike Steely and I have a pregame show that we are streaming and the response has been outstanding and I'm blown away by everybody checking it out. So I just want to say thank you guys for checking out the pregame show. If you haven't done so, it's really easy to find two hours before kick. I tweet the link at Colby underscore Daniels on Twitter. I tweet that link. You can view it there. It's really simple. You can watch it. You can listen to it. We've had a lot of fun doing it, just getting ready for game day. Again, thank you to everybody that has checked that out. Today's guest is 1993 Heisman Trophy winner, 1993 national champion, first round NBA draft pick, and he spent 11 years as a point guard in the NBA. Here we go. Here is Charlie Ward on the Colby Daniels podcast. I feel like I got to start this thing with a big happy birthday to you. Happy belated birthday, I guess. Uh, thank you. I appreciate it. Yes, turning 50 uh, yesterday. Um, finally caught up to my wife, but um, it's all good. I enjoyed it. Uh, we had our 25th. We celebrated our 25th uh, wedding anniversary and uh, our 50th birthdays on Sunday. Uh, I'm at a ceremony here at the house, so it was pretty good. Did you uh, Did you have to plug in people virtually? Uh, yes, we did. We uh, had friends, uh, friends and family join us via Zoom. Uh, so that was good that everyone got an opportunity to attend. Uh, we want we wanted to have a bigger um, opportunity for us, uh, but that just wasn't happening uh, with COVID and those types of things. So this is the next best thing. And it was great. It turned out really, really well. Well, before we before we talk football and basketball and what you're doing now and, and all that good stuff, I, I feel like we should just ask the question because everybody, I feel like, is it's the first thing we all talk about these days. How have you survived COVID and quarantine, and, and what have you done to keep yourself busy? Um, well, I mean, we've been doing all the necessary things that I guess everyone else you know, is doing is trying to stay healthy. We're definitely, you know, doing our immune boost um, and making sure that we're protecting ourselves when we're out around people um, and, um, you know, working to stay as healthy as possible uh, from the inside out, in a sense, and, you know, washing your hands. And we've had quarantine now, you know, with coaching, uh, you know, we've had different teammates, players, coaches, whomever it may be around, you know, either contract the virus or have someone in their family contract the virus. And so it's been a whirlwind of trying to navigate that piece. But, you know, it is what it is. And we're still working hard to get prepared for our season, which is coming up here next month, starting next month. Uh, but you know, I coach high school basketball, and so that's been a challenge. But just seeing the challenges that everyone's having, you know, in sports, uh, it's just unfortunate. Uh, you know, and hopefully, you know, it's something that, um, you know, people are being able to stay as healthy as possible because I'm just a big proponent and 
you know, health, health and wellness. And I know playing games and, you know, one of the risk factors is always going to be risk when you're playing game um, or being around people. Uh, and yes, there are going to be risks, but I'm just a big proponent for how can we mitigate the risk uh, and do the best we can uh, if something does happen, uh, making sure that people aren't putting themselves in harm's way to uh, to go in, in a deep dive. But how can we be in a healing um, state of mind as well? Did you know that, that coaching was something you wanted to do or did you just kind of fall into it? Um, it was definitely something I kind of fell into after my uh, retirement. In, in the NBA, I really didn't know what I wanted to do until, you know, I had to talk to my mom and wife and, you know, one of the things that I was um, kind of groomed to do <laughs> was coach. I uh, didn't know it, uh, but my dad was a coach. I've been around it, you know, sports for quite some time. And I felt like I, I just didn't have that type of um, – pedigree when it came down to being able to teach um, learn you know a lot of things I thought I was doing was built around you know instincts but when I look back and started thinking there I had a lot of experiences um, that I could be able to share and I've been taught a lot you know when it came to sports in general and so I was grateful that Coach Van Gundy gave me an opportunity to do an internship uh, when I retired to see if coaching was something I really wanted to do. And, you know, after the internship, a job opportunity opened up on his staff with, in Houston. And so he gave me an opportunity to be, you know, one of the assistants. And once it came to a point that that's what I wanted to do, um, I wanted to have a little bit more of a flexible schedule, so I ended up jumping into high school where I felt like I could make a, a, a bigger impact um, or at least a start of an impact on the younger generation um, before they went to college uh, to be able to give them some uh, some experiences to grow, grow from and learn and also have, you know, um, teach them things that I've been taught. I mean, so that was some, one of the reasons why, you know, I enjoy coaching now, but at the time, I really didn't understand it, uh, what I was getting into or what I should be doing until, you know, I was afforded an opportunity by Coach Van Gundy. I've heard so many coaches over the years say that they find themselves at times channeling the coaches that, that they learned from and that they played for do you ever catch yourself maybe saying some of the same things that that van gundy said or coach bowden or even your dad and you're like holy cow there it is uh most definitely i mean that's that's kind of what you do this is like a kid who has parents you know they say the same thing that parents say um and that was very similar to us when it came to parenting uh as well so it's, uh, yes, uh, I definitely sound like my dad a lot of times uh, when I look back over it. Uh, but, I mean, fruit don't fall too far from the tree. 
Um, and then a lot of the terminology and different things I've gained from the coach, some of the coaches that I played for. Um, you know, Coach Van Gundy, some of his terminology when it comes to playing the game, um, you know, situations and, you know, systems and those types of things, as well as, you know, Greg Popovich. Uh, I learned a lot from, you know, just their terminology and the way they handle uh, players as well. So there are a lot of things I've gleaned from those coaches, all my coaches, um, my high school coach who's a Christian. And he was, you know, he, there are certain things he just wasn't going to allow to be a part of the team. And so those are all things that I've um, been able to glean from over, over my years to be able to help me, you know, in my coaching you know, career. As far as, as two sport athletes, I feel like so many times in, in today's young athletics, we have kids specializing in one sport. You're a, a perfect example of playing multiple sports at a higher level and, and potentially those sports making you a better overall athlete. What, what's the challenges with facing specialized sports these days? Um, I, I've kind of gone back and forth. I mean, I, I know my experience, but everyone's experience is not going to be the same. Um, I, I have – I coach high school basketball here at Florida, Florida High, Florida State University School down in Tallahassee, and – 98% of my team <laughs> plays one sport. Um, and it's not because I hadn't talked to them about it, or at least the varsity uh, plays one sport. It's not that I've been trying to push them into. Uh, they just feel like at this time they want to play basketball. Um, and then I have, you know, one kid who's a four-star um, athlete in, you know, football and basketball. And he's getting offers from, you know, everywhere. And so, I mean, it, it is what it is. He, he plays, like I said, he plays football and basketball and he played baseball uh, a couple years ago. He, he stopped playing baseball because he was spreading himself too thin. Uh, but that's just the way life is. Uh, it depends on the, the, the player, the person, um, and their situation. Because there's been situations where, you know, if you want to make the basketball team, you're only looking at 12 to 15 spots of that on, on a particular team. And you're at a school that may have, you know, 2,500 students. I mean, you got to try to pick your, you know, what, what you want to do. And so if you want to make the basketball team, then you may need to, um, you know, spend more time preparing for, you know, the tryouts, um, if you're not one of the top tier guys. And so, you know, but that also gives you an opportunity to understand and know that if you don't make it, then you probably should do something else. Um, and, and so that's another, you know, feather in the cap of, you know, playing multiple sports to give yourself options. And that's one of the reasons why, you know, I, I talk to kids about playing multiple sports, because if you put all your eggs in one basket and, there's no more eggs to be to go in that basket and you're left out on the outside, uh, then what are you going to do? Because if you still have some ability, you should go and try to find another sport. And then if you are in another sport, you know, find an, um, if you are playing one sport and it's your major sport, then find a complementary sport 
um, to give yourself that break uh, that you need because we know that if you play one sport and you play it year-round, at some point in time, there's going to be, um, you know, a breakdown. You're going to get bored. You're going to get tired of it. And it may come your last year in, in, in high school when you may have a chance to make that breakthrough, but you're just tired of going through the monotony of the same rigor of whatever sports you're playing. So um, I just think it's, it's healthy to do. Um, and if you don't want to play another sport, then that's fine. Uh, but I think it's healthy to, to do, you know, play another one. How much did uh, the ability to play both sports or even the desire to want to play both sports at the next level impact how you ended up at, at Florida State? Uh, it was a big it was a big reason because I wanted to play basketball and Coach Bowden allowed Brad Johnson to play basketball at Florida State, which you know gave me the um, you know the confidence to know that uh, he would allow me to play. Um, and I had to meet my criteria of, you know, my, my, my academics and those types of things. Um, but I'm just, I, you know, it was one of the main reasons why I chose Florida State is because they were going to allow me to uh, play basketball. I didn't know what kind of career I could have in basketball um, or football. I mean, I didn't know at the time, but I just knew I enjoyed playing them because um, I was an athlete um, and you know most athletes just want to be an athlete <laughs> you know uh, and so uh, I, I was afforded an opportunity and I was grateful that you know Coach Bowden and Coach Kennedy allowed me to play basketball and football at Florida State and that's something that you know I always cherish. I didn't realize until a couple weeks ago I had pulled up your uh, your sports reference page and it listed you as a punter as well as a quarterback. I, I had no recollection of you punting early in your career. Yes, I won the punting job my true freshman year and got an opportunity to you know get on the big boy field um, as a true freshman. Uh, but of course, you know everyone wants to play their position that they recruited to play. Uh, but that wasn't my my deal. Um, we had a quarterback room that was full with veterans. Uh, Peter Tom Willis was a senior. Brad and Brad Johnson, Casey Weldon, you know, they were sophomores. Uh, and so I um, I was just gonna have to wait my time. And during while I was waiting, you know, they asked me to compete for the punting job. I was a punter in high school, so it wasn't like. You know something that I hadn't done before, um, so I ended up winning a punting job, and you know I thought at the time it was not good because that's not I was felt like I was losing a year of eligibility to do something I wasn't recruited to do, uh, but you know after I matured a little bit I started I, I understood that that was a great blessing uh, because. You know, four years after that, you know, I was able to play basketball. Um, and I also got redshirted the next year, which gave me an opportunity not to have any obligations uh, for football. And so Coach Bowden allowed me to go out and play basketball full time. And so my little pout of, you know, losing a year of eligibility to punt and 
you know, now all that, you know, kind of went out the window uh, once I saw and got an opportunity to do that. So, you know, it's things I always talk talk to kids about or anyone that want to listen is we never know what God has in store for us. We just have to live our lives, make decisions, and then live with whatever the consequences are uh, when we make those decisions. And so, you know, God had a plan for me, and I'm grateful that, you know, I was able to walk out those steps and afforded opportunity to play multiple sports, you know, in college. I feel like any big-time athlete feels like they are the best at what they do, and, and certainly you look at, at the quarterback position and you have to have confidence to succeed in that position. When you look at, at today's world, it's a very rare thing, I feel like, to see guys really want to go to a big-time university and wait their turn like you had to do at Florida State. How difficult was that process to you know kind of sit on the sideline and wait until you were the guy, so to speak, your junior year? Uh, well, it was – I mean, they told me that – first you know when I while I was being recruited um that I would have to wait because that was just a system you know the system at the time was you had to wait your time um and regardless of what kind of talent you had uh you weren't gonna go in and play over uh, a upperclassman um that's just the way it was and you know we understood that uh, but then this day and age where all the different stars and you know expectations you know whether it's that from home or on yourself uh to be able to compete and play early uh, you know a lot of people a lot of kids don't want to wait especially at the quarterback position because most times they're only most teams are only playing one guy um if you're playing other positions uh, then you may get an opportunity to, you know, do some things, um, whether it's at your position or special teams, just to get your, you know, get you in the game, get your feet wet. Uh, but most people want to play quarterback, and I just know, you know, as a true freshman, um, I wasn't ready to play, especially at that level. Um, I would have probably navigated my way through. But of course, you have to live with some of those uh, early mistakes, as you know that freshmen have. Um, even as a sophomore, you know, I probably had to go through the same thing I went through when I started playing as a junior. And so, whether you're willing to kind of live with those mistakes, you know, with the veteran group, then you know that's something. But I just think uh, you know, kids are coming in more more advanced. Um, and, and the way that they, they've gone about their training. Uh, they understand offense uh, better in high school. Some of these guys are coming in physically prepared and ready to play. And so I understand, you know, why they probably don't want to wait one year, two years uh, to get their opportunities to play two years. Um, and that happens. And guys have, you know, chances now to go and transfer uh, to find a better situation and it's worked out for some and some it hadn't. Um, and so it's hard to say, you know, that's the right way or the wrong way. Um, like I said, you you make a decision and you live the consequences and you have to be willing to live the consequences. I just think, you know, whenever a kid makes a decision uh, to leave because of playing time, um, and he finds a situation that's better for him, um, and then he goes and maybe still don't get an opportunity to play as much or play at all, 
uh, has to wait. Uh, you know, that's what we have to, you know, be willing to live with. And I just think it's something that we have more top-level quarterbacks coming in to college, um, and some of them are prepared to play, um, but they don't want to wait. Um, Justin Fields is, is a prime example. You know, he would have a couple years to play, but now if he's still at Georgia, but um, he's, uh, you know, at Ohio State, and this is his second year playing, and he's thinking about possibly, you know, leaving the play to go into the NFL draft. And so, you know, that's kind of what you have to live with and what you have to do um, if that's your if that's your dream. What do you remember about the Heisman hype going into the 93 season and just what that hype was like week by week as that season went on? Uh, well, for me, it wasn't something that I, I wanted to be involved in. I knew that I had to go out and compete. I was on a very good team, uh, play at a high level to help our team be successful. Um, there were some organizations, on, there was an organization on campus, Burning Spear, uh, on our campus as a student-led uh, organization. And they started the hype train, in a sense, uh, about the highs and all those types of things. And I really didn't want to get involved uh, with it because that just wasn't my MO. Uh, I, because I knew I had to go out and take care of the things that I could take care of. Um, but, you know, I was grateful for them. Um, and, you know, them backing me and pushing me and those types of things to, you know, from, uh, to a national level uh, to be able to receive the award. Uh, but all that would have been for not if I wouldn't have prepared myself to play uh, quality football. And I was grateful that I had quality players on my team, and we were on a very good team. Um, you know, we were top, one of the top, top teams in the country. And that played a big part as well. And so I always say right place, right time, uh, right situations, and those types of things, you know, happen. And, you know, the height part, you know, it is it is what it is. But you still have to go out and compete each and every game. Do you have a favorite memory from that season? I, I can remember the hype around the Notre Dame week and, and what that game was like and, and then you guys having to rebound the rest of the way and, and going on to win the national championship. But is there one specific moment from that season that really stands out to you? Um, I mean, if I had to say one moment, it was in the swamp where we were uh, we were winning a game, the entire game against uh, Florida who was 23-0 and 0 at the time at home in the swamp. And they had made a comeback. And they cut it to like five points or something. And we needed to put a drive together to regain the momentum. And it was first down, second down. They, they got stops. Uh, it was third and ten. And it was very, very loud. And we couldn't really, the ground was shaking. We couldn't hear ourselves. We were prepared for that type of environment the entire week because we were expecting that. But the whole game was very quiet, you know, because we were leading. 
But at that moment, it was a place, a time where we couldn't hear and we needed a play to be made. And um, most teams, when they're playing in that type of game and that type of environment um, and that situation, you have guys that step up. Guys have to step up and make plays to keep things going in a positive direction. And so in that third and 10, uh, we were, I had a what we call 344, and uh, we call it takeoffs. And we're about to run go routes. And I, I got a little pressure up the middle, um, and I was able to escape to my left and, and um, work. Uh, whenever I got in trouble, um, I always knew that I had a check down. And you know, as a quarterback, you always look to find your outlets, regardless of who that may be, when you get pressure. And so Wharton's when I checked down. Once I got the pressure, I saw him running. He was running an out route. And I ended up throwing it over and looping it over a guy into his arms. And we were able to hit it for like 70-plus yards, whatever it was. And that sealed the game for us. And so if I had to have one moment, and that seal meant that we were going to get an opportunity to play in the national championship. And so that was that would be a shining moment, a special moment that I can remember uh, that led to, you know, us getting an opportunity to play in the championship game. I, I was having a conversation a couple weeks ago about how much just sports have changed over the years and, and specifically football, and, and the conversation turned into what players would we like to see in today's game. And I mentioned you with the way offenses are run today and the tempo and the dual-threat quarterbacks and what they do not only distributing the football, but being able to make plays with their legs. I, I imagine Charlie Ward in 2020 would just be a machine. What do you think about when you watch today's game and, and how you might fit into that? Uh, well, that was, I mean, what, what's going on today was our game. Um, you know, back during my time, we developed into that, this type of, these types of, I mean, that type of offense that, we're, that you're speaking of, uh, where we were in no huddle. Uh, we changed up the tempos for us, though. Uh, we we didn't always go fast. Uh, so, I mean, it was, it, it was what it was. I mean, I, I actually threw, you know, like 50-something passes against Florida, you know, the, my last game um, outside of um, Nebraska. So, you know, that was – we were wide open. Um, when it came to that and I think it comes down to the trust trust factor when it's all said and done but I mean I lived it it was just almost 30 years later but I still lived it you know when it was all said and done um, during my time we were kind of the first wave of uh, being able to go no huddle a shotgun tempo uh that's kind of the way we started to go about our business my second part of my junior year uh we kind of changed after the georgia tech game uh, to try to pick up the tempo and give us better opportunity to catch defense sleeping um, and those types of things and so i i mean like i said i live 2020 whatever whatever the offenses are today 
You guys obviously win a national championship. You're a Heisman Trophy winner, and so there's a giant spotlight on the football part in Tallahassee. But, like, I, I remember watching you guys play basketball, and, and you guys were really talented. Uh, yes, we actually have four first-round picks on our team um, for a couple of years. And so we had we had talent, um, and we had – very successful seasons. We progress each and every year. Um, I know my first year we made it to the first round, won the first round game. Uh, second year we won the second round game. And then when third year we ended up winning, uh, getting all the way to the uh, Elite Eight. Uh, missed the, we lost to uh, Kentucky in Elite Eight. But it was a great run, uh, great, great experience. Uh, that we had, and you know, as you talked about the talent, I mean, there's Bob Sura, there's Sam Cassell, there's Doug Edwards, Rodney Dobart. Um, we had some other guys, you know, the highly talented coming out of high school uh, that didn't quite make it to the NBA, um, but they were solid players. And, you know, it was just those times that, you know, when you look back, you know, we really had we had some really good players, and and they played we played well together. And you were doing it in a in a time where the conference was just loaded with, I mean, future NBA stars, right? Uh yes. Um, I mean, we had, you know, when I first started playing, we were in the Metro Conference, and so we we had Louisville in that conference, Memphis, um, you know, Southern Mississippi, uh, who had. You know some some quality players so we had quite a few players um cincinnati was in that 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 metro conference and so we had some quality players and then we joined the acc and of course you know about the acc so i mean we were, we were playing against you know a lot of pros guys that end up you know playing professionally uh and that was that was cool i mean that was the way if you're going to if you're going to win games or play against the best, then, I mean, ACC was one of the, one of the best conferences to do it. So after, after Florida State is all said and done, you have a decision to make as far as football and basketball. Walk me through that process and, and how ultimately you ended up playing for the New York Knicks and, and not quarterbacking an NFL team. Well, I made a decision to play uh, my senior year in college. And once I made the decision to do that, um, that just threw out my 100% committed to the NFL. Uh, because if I would have played my senior year, I would have gone and started preparing for the combine and would have gone to the combine. I actually didn't go to the combine, uh, the, the first one, where you throw and you run and do all the necessary things because um, I had a basketball game. So I missed it, and I wasn't prepared for any of it. So I, I, I chose not to, to go that, that route. And after the basketball season, um, I, I went through uh, the, the process of semi-getting prepared for my pro day on uh, campus. Um, and I threw uh, – I, I was double-dipping. I was working my basketball skills and drills – and then I would go out and throw on occasions, you know, to some of the teammates that were preparing for 
the uh, draft as well. And so, you know, that was something I was doing. Um, and I had pro day, uh, threw okay, had a little wind, but threw okay. Um, but I had the same grade, the same, you know, information that was out there, you know, st- not a strong arm, you know, not sure if, you know, he can handle, you know, dropping back and, you know, all those types of things. And, you know, it, it was what it was. I knew I was a third or fourth round draft pick. <clears throat> oh, that was my draft grade. And so I knew that may not change, especially back then. Uh, in today's time, yes, it may have changed. But back then, you had to be a certain height um, and coming from a certain um, style of play uh, to be able to be a first-round pick. Now, third or fourth round didn't really matter. Um, but be the first-round pick, you had to be a certain height um, and weight and status when it came to your, your, um, your, your system that you came from. And but the fifth round in the fifth round, the uh, Kansas City Chiefs call to ask if I would if I got drafted there, if I would, uh, you know, come and be the backup to Joe Montana. Now, Joe Montana was one of the guys that I admired um, as a as a uh, quarterback. I saw a lot of similarities there and would have loved, you know, that opportunity. But I told him that I couldn't guarantee that I would come because if I got drafted in the NBA draft the first round, then, you know, at the time I didn't know that. But I was just trusting that I would put my work in and, you know, if things did happen that way, it would. But I just told him I couldn't guarantee that I would come. Um, And so that's kind of the way it happened um, with the NFL and I'd also pray that God please uh, close the door, open the door, and he closed the NFL door shut. So I didn't get drafted at all, and so I don't have to make a decision any longer uh, on which sport I was going to you know, focus on more. Once the NFL draft um, ended, I went and put all my time and energy into preparing for the NBA process. And God worked it out to where I was able to be a first-round pick with the Knicks and got an opportunity to play nine and a half years in New York and have a loving-year career, which was a great blessing. You know, it's crazy you mentioned having to be a certain size and, and having that, that pocket presence-type quarterback uh, back in, in, what, 1994 draft? Is, is that, that the year? Uh, it it feels like it's only been a couple seasons in the NFL and we're in 2020 now where that's really even started to be acceptable where you have a guy that is, is, you know, truly a dual threat and not that I always use Ryan leaf as the example, just because he's the prototypical guy that, that everybody wanted back then the big six, five, six, six, throw the ball a hundred yards and, and just, you know, be in the pocket all the time. And, and, you know, it kind of still in some ways feels like we're, we're fighting, uh, for dual threat quarterbacks and and how good they can be at that level. Uh, well, I mean, you want a dual threat quarterback that can move and get out of the pocket, and get out of trouble, uh, because everyone else has gotten faster. Um, you know, 
I mean, everyone's fast. Defensive linemen are fast. Uh, linebackers are fast. And so, you know, you need someone that can move in the pocket, uh, get out of trouble, buy yourself some time, and those types of things. And, you know, I'm just happy to see uh, Lamar Jackson having great success. You know, Kyler Murray, Baker Mayfield, uh, Russell Wilson, you know, those guys are, you know, having having some success uh, being or smaller. Or Lamar's about six, two and a half, six, three. But, you know, just having that stigma of, you know, being a runner and, you know, not wanting to stay in the pocket all the time, but, you know, finding ways to use your legs to help your team be successful, offense move, you know, keep the chains moving. And so those guys, you know, you're starting to see more of and you know you admire the Brady's the Breeze um, those guys you admire them you know, for where they are uh, but you're starting to see now you know if you don't have guys open uh, they, they they have a tough time you know uh, finding finding you know ways to 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 uh, I guess matriculate the ball down the field or get first downs with their legs uh, you very rarely see that. Uh, but what you do see um, is them understanding where they want to go to football, you know, how to uh, throw guys open. Uh, that's a lot of things, you know, I, I learned, you know, how to throw guys open. Um, and that's something I learned when I was in college. And so a lot of things, you know, I just think it, it's just you need – a dual threat guy, but more importantly, you need a guy who's going to make good decisions. If he can be a dual threat guy, that's great. But if he doesn't make good decisions, he's always trying to find a way to get out of pocket. He doesn't know where to go to football when trouble hits. Um, he's not, you know, understanding the progressions um, and being able to be accurate, you know, while being pressured. You know, those things, I don't care if you're a do a threat or you know a pocket passer you know it's just you're not going to be successful I, I know a lot of football players that uh, that think basketball players are soft and you played both sports you get drafted by the Knicks who kind of embodied toughness in the NBA in the 90s did, did you feel like being a football player kind of helped you prepare for what that mentality was around New York Knicks basketball back then uh, I yeah, I guess so. Just from the mindset, even though I played bass, uh, even though I played football, I was a quarterback. But I, um, when I played basketball, I still play like a linebacker in a sense. And I think that just goes back to football is a contact sport all the time. And if someone hits you, you just feel like. You know, you're either going to take it or you're going to dish it out uh, in football. And there's just a certain type of mentality. And then in basketball, you know, I didn't mind running into people, whether it was a screen, whether it was for a loose ball, um, because I felt like, you know, mentally, physically, I was tougher uh, than whomever it was, even if, even if it was a bigger guy. And that's just the crazy thought process of a football player. Um, but you know, I wouldn't say basketball players are soft um, because it really depends on what you look like. 
<laughs> because if you're a big guy and you're going up against a smaller guy, it, it just don't matter um, because you're bigger. And the mentality can be there and those types of things. And I don't think, you know, and if you're, if you're a smaller guy and you start getting in the weight room, um, then you don't mind running into, you know, bigger things um, because you feel like physically you can handle that. And so I think if you're talking about soft, um, the rules have changed. Uh, no, when we came in, when we came in, they started to change some of the rules because of some of the things that we were a part of um, and a little bit before us, you know, with Jordan and those types of things. Um, and so some of the rules have changed over the course of the time. But I don't think guys are soft or mentality is soft. I just think the rules have changed to help favor, uh, you know, freedom of movement, um, you know, fouls, uh, intentional fouls now, you know, flagrant fouls. You know, back during our time, like I said, they started to move it. They started to have some flagrant fouls uh, or ejections and those types of things. Uh, but now, you know, a flagrant foul, you know, they get rewarded with points and you get an opportunity to, um, you know, to stay on the court if it's not as flagrant, you know, if it's just an accident or what have you. But that's what I would say. Yes, the Knicks did prepare. Uh, I did go into a situation where mentality, uh, my mentality was very, very good for it. When I think about basketball in the 90s, I think the first thought for me is Jordan and the Bulls against the Knicks and just what those rivalries were like. Um, well, we didn't. We never beat them. <laughs> so uh, during my time, we very rarely beat them, and, um, and especially in a series, uh, it was very tough. It always felt like they were great series, though. Uh, yes, a couple of them were competitive. Um even though we, I think we lost one series four to one, but they were relatively competitive, uh, and we were competitive, you know, against them. But it was, I mean, it was, I mean, he was just good. I mean, he had very good players around him. Um, even though, regardless of who was around him, he made them better. Um, and then when he got Pippen, you know, that made him even better. Then when they added Kukoc, that made him even tougher to beat. Um, and then it started adding all these different pieces around those three. Um, and, and then you started to see them, you know, kind of take over. Um, and when Jordan left, that's kind of when the door opened for, you know, people to slide in to, to, to um, get to the finals in a sense. So, you know, he was definitely uh, a difference maker, um, but it was great to be able to compete against him. LeBron just won his fourth title with the Lakers, and, and certainly, you know, you look at what the Warriors have done in recent years, the game has changed tremendously since that time, and, and there's always that debate about best players and, and trying to fit guys into these eras, which almost seems impossible to do when you look at the era that you played in versus what we watch now in the NBA. Um, yes, I mean, it's, it's different. I mean, it's difficult because of just, the as I mentioned, the rules uh, were different. Uh, the players today are different than the players when I came through. Uh, we were athletic. Um, some were athletic. And now, I mean, you don't, you very rarely have a center 
you know, like the Patrick Ewing, um, where you know you normally find them in the mid range or the box. Uh, most of the centers today are either setting screens, rolling to the basket, or popping out shooting threes, um, or, or playing, you know, um, on the box. But they have the capability of being able to step out and shoot threes. You didn't see that from Shaq, Alonzo Mourning, um, the Kim, uh, Mutombo. Um, you know, that's just that's just when they roll. Uh, that's not what they did, and that wasn't the times. And in this day and age, not saying that those guys couldn't play, but it would be difficult because um, that was a different. Let me take that back. They they could play, but it would be different um, because I'm sure they would have expanded their games as well to where it is today. Uh, but it's just a different time and era, um, and so. I just think, uh, you know, when you start looking at the best players and the different eras, can we just all say they're, I mean, they were great. Um, instead of trying to have this debate about who's the best and all that, uh, they were all great. And, you know, as I've shared before, I live next to a, you know, I drive by a cow, cow pasture. And in that cow pasture, there's like a lot of cows. And why can't we have a goat pasture? Well, you know, all these great players, can we just put them all in this this one area, you know, of being a goat? There's multiple goats, and let's just all put them in that in that that that, uh, that type of uh, environment where they're all goats um, in their perspective uh, eras. Stylistically, who do you who do you enjoy watching most in in today's NBA game? Well, I just like the the conceptual piece of it. Um, I, I, I like the movement uh, from you know teams. You know, Golden State does a good job of you know getting shooters their shooters open. You know, you saw Miami do the same thing. They just they implement an offense that works for them. You know, it was a pass and dribble handoff type of game. You know set a screen and roll, uh, slip a screen. It was based around, around a lot of uh, dribble handoffs and movement, um, coming off screens, those types of things that open up the floor. And then you had, you know, L.A. I mean, they played a lot of ISO basketball. And off of those ISOs, you know, you saw guys moving, you saw guys screening. Uh, you just didn't see them standing around watching one guy dribble post up same same type scenario uh very basic things so i'm more of a conceptual guy uh, defensively i like to see teams scramble help one another stay in front of the basketball uh make second efforts uh that's kind of the, the thing that i like to 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 watch um and when i see great teams do it you know it's enjoyable to, to watch and of course i'm always teaching trying to, you know, share with our guys, my team, you know, the importance of the things that we're doing in practice, you know, for them to see uh, what we're working on because, you know, basketball is basketball regardless of what level you're on. And once you can get to a certain point um, of understanding, then you can start performing um, at a high level. 
Uh, before we before we get out of here, I, I want to hear about the foundation, but I do have to ask you: Are, are we going to get you in some of these Heisman House commercials soon? Uh, people have been asking me about the Heisman <laughs> House commercial, and you know I've been lobbying to try to get in, and you know there's been I've been in a couple, uh, but uh, I think that's above my head trying to get into those Heisman House commercials. Uh, but of course, we get the same some of the same players and they do a great job um of you know representing the heisman um but hopefully you know one of these days we can get all of our fsu guys we have three uh you know chris winky and um famous Jameis. yeah Jameis winston i'm drawing a blank but <laughs> Hopefully we can get all three of us in one of those at one of these, you know, days um, before we depart the earth. Well, we got to get Florida State back too, because certainly college football is better when Florida State is is more relevant. And, and you know, I just I was having this conversation earlier this week. It's crazy how it, it it's a very quick decline when when things start going bad in college football, and it's not an easy thing to get the the momentum back in a positive direction. Uh, well, no, um, especially when you start to have instability in leadership. Um, it's definitely not easy to get get that going in um, a positive direction. But uh, hopefully now we've settled on the coach, uh, Coach Norville. Uh, I thought is I think he's doing a great job, you know, behind the scenes of st- establishing a foundation based on accountability, uh, guys being responsible, um, and the family. Um, atmosphere um, and so I think that's something that you know he's working to establish and now you know just trying to implement his, implement the systems um, and I think he's doing a good job of recruiting of course that plays a big part in success as well uh, but having stability now um, where you know people are going to people supporting um, the vision and I think the players are buying in, and the key is is for us this year to be able to continue to improve, you know, on some aspect, uh, so that we can have some momentum going into, you know, the future, near future. Uh, but of course, we still have games left this year um, to be able to to improve upon that. And just right now, I think he's they're searching uh, for, you know, playmakers. They're searching for. Uh, guys who can develop and grow. So they're playing a lot of young players, uh, which normally when you're playing young players, you're going to have inconsistent uh, plays. Uh, but he's mixing them. You know, some veteran guys who's been there, some young players that just came in, who were true freshmen, are getting opportunities, and they're, they're stepping up and playing well. And so I just think, uh, you know, as a coach, you're trying to find, you know, the positives and build upon those and and the negatives you're trying to build upon, you know, learn how you can develop and grow in those areas as well and seeing what you have, you know, moving forward. Before I let you run, tell me about the foundation. I, I kind of stumbled a, across it uh, on the internet, and, and that was really how I got in touch with you. And, and uh, you know, certainly I, I love anybody trying to be a positive in this world and we can certainly use more of it uh well the charlie and tondra Wood family foundation you know we our main goal is to be able to help help people 
Uh, we've kind of we kind of joined forces with uh, hurricane relief efforts, um, things that we're doing, and our daughter also has a holiday notes uh, that she does and helping assist uh, in inspiring, encouraging um, the elderly, um, and also provide an opportunity for the community to be able to send notes, uh, holiday you know holiday cheers to those. Uh, in assisted living facilities or the VA hospital. Um, and now she's um, started a um, fundraiser for I-9 Sports uh, for families that may not have the resource to be able to participate. Um, so she started, uh, she did a fundraiser for that as well as she's um, working to try to help um, orchestra, the Bossier, which is what she's a part of. Uh, so she has a fundraiser to be able to help kids. Um, so the, the, the goal of our foundation is to be able to help people, uh, but also establish something for our kids to be able to have a philanthropic um, mindset and attitude as well, um, because that's the way we were raised. Um, our, parents, our parents were civic, you know, in civic groups, and they helped community um, they were involved in the community and also help you know kids develop and get different experiences. So it's like anything else, as we've talked about, it's a trickle-down effect, and we want to make sure that we're leaving a legacy of giving. I love that, Charlie. Well, look, I know that uh, that you've got to run, and I've kept you a little bit over our time, but I certainly appreciate you joining me. Uh, the work you do is amazing, and, and I love the fact that you're still – educating the youth and, and teaching them the game of basketball. And, and again, it's uh, great to catch up with you, and, and I certainly enjoyed your playing days. Uh, thanks, Kobe. Appreciate you having me on. Happy belated birthday. Uh, thank you. All right, take care. All right, bye-bye.